Kiora, Tinakoto, Nomai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Join me as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you live in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back and relax. Let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Welcome to all of you with curious minds, new or older listeners to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. It's so good to have you here with us. Currently, it's Halloween's Eve here in New Zealand and the Southern Hemisphere, so it's a very good night to share this conversation with you all. In this episode, we walk into the mysterious world of the supernatural with a first-hand account from a man who claims to have experienced unexplicable phenomena in what has become known as the Bothell Hell House. Our guest today is Keith Linder, whose journey into the paranormal has captivated audiences and ignited debates within the realm of the unexplained. The Bothell House, located in Washington, became the focal point of Keith's life as he grappled with strange occurrences, poltergeist activity and an unrelenting sense of the uncanny. Join us as Keith takes us through the chilling details of his experiences, sharing the highs and lows of living in a home plagued by supernatural forces. From strange markings on walls, to objects moving mysteriously, to items spontaneously combusting, Keith's account raises profound questions about the nature of reality and the thin veil between the known and the unknown. As we delve into the Bothell poltergeist phenomena, We'll explore Keith's investigations, the reactions from sceptics and believers alike, and the impact these experiences have had on his life. Are you willing to walk with me into the deepest, darkest parts of the Shadowlands? Make sure you leave your lights on for this episode. Let's begin. Keith Linder is a professional in the IT field, having worked at some of the largest tech companies in the world, e.g. Dell, Microsoft, Philips, Healthcare and Verizon. Keith Linder's hobbies include fishing, sports, particularly football and basketball, movies and sci-fi. In 2012, Keith and his girlfriend Tina relocated to a house in Bothell, Washington near Seattle. Their experiences in that house introduced them to the paranormal community and forever change their lives. Regardless of whether you believe in the paranormal or not, the evidence and stories presented here may make you reconsider your beliefs. One expert in the field, Rob Tilley of the Australian Institute of Parapsychology Research, has praised the thorough and well-researched nature of this case, ranking it alongside other famous podcast cases, such as the Enfield podcast, South Shields podcast, Bridgeport, Connecticut case and the Matthew Manning case, 
the Bothell Hale House is a significant contribution to podcast research. My guest, Keith Linder. Thank you so much for agreeing to share with me and my listeners the experiences that you and your then partner, Tina, endured for a period of four years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was four years, 2012 to 2016. Three years for Tina, four years for me, but yeah, four years. Right. It's an incredibly long time to be dealing with poltergeist activity and all the accompanying emotional things and physical events that go with being subject to an extreme paranormal event that you endured. Can you perhaps talk us through from the beginning how it started for you? Well, it started almost sort of cliche. It started very slow and almost unnoticeable, you know, as you read me and Tina. We moved into the Bothell House May 1st of 2012. We had been living in two separate places, had no activity in our place of residence before. That's very important. We're not familiar with the paranormal. If you ask me April 30th, what a poltergeist was, 2012, I wouldn't be able to tell you, let alone how can you tell your house is haunted or how to make sure you don't move into one. But the day of May 1st, 2012, we went to sign the papers of the home to get the keys, congratulate ourselves. And it was a nice, normal, clear spring, blue sky day, birds chirping, kids playing outside. Met the homeowner, and then he left. And then it's just me and Tina in the home. Me and Tina have no children. We have no pets. The house was virtually empty. And didn't know it at the time, but know it now. And this was a precursor, a warning, if you will. While we were talking, we heard a kid cough. And I always tell people the first weird thing about the kid cough is we were both talking and we both looked at each other. After we heard it and we said, was that a kid cough? It sounded like it came from one of the rooms upstairs. It was very distinct. We might have talked about it for five minutes or so, but we did not go looking. Why would we? We have no children. The house is empty, so we thought. But yeah, that would be looking back, and obviously you know the history of, uh, of how the story unfolds. That was day one. And of course you didn't think much about it, because why would you? Right. Why would we, why would anybody for that matter, in a sense of, we thought it had to have come from outside, and it felt weird, but it did sound like a kid cough. That would later on haunt us, especially some of the revelations about the case, about the house we'll talk about. But yeah, talk about being new or unfamiliar with the paranormal. It's always interesting to people who hear this story and those who study the story of how we were met with uh, what some consider a low-level activity on the day of arrival. It's just like a switch went on in the home of the spirits being in the home. Aha, they're here. Let's do something. And it was the kid call. Mm. And did you or Tina have any feelings about the house when you moved in? Were you aware of any vibe? 
that the house gave up or was it just a lovely, pleasant, beautiful home? It was a beautiful home, a beautiful neighborhood, a new home. This is a single dwelling unit, two story, five bedrooms, two and a half bath. Neighborhood was built in 2005. The home was built in 2005. And obviously we toured the home, I want to say four to six weeks before moving in and fell in love with it right away and fell in love with it on Craigslist once we saw it. We were just going through the formality of touring the home. And we did, but much later, the home was still lived in when it was on Craigslist, but when it was finally empty, we toured it. We wanted the home right away. And we, I think as soon as I got home after touring the home, told the homeowner, we'd like to submit our application. And there were other people too, and they chose us and we were glad. And yeah, we left out no negative energy, no, this is where, I don't know. People always say, or Hollywood movies always say, well, you know, live in there, they want you to get out or whatever. I disagree, especially with this house. If there was any moment to convince us not to move in, you think logically it would be the day of us touring the home, you know? Right. We don't want y'all to move in. So I said they would have to throw something or make a noise or something because there's nothing in the house to throw. But there could have been a negative vibe or a premonition or something like we all do. I felt many places that I thought I wanted to live in and after viewing it, changed my mind upon arrival. There was none of that here. This one was welcoming, bright, it was lovely, it was clean. Everything was new inside, front, backyard, neighborhood. I deduced the neighbors were okay and they were. So yeah. Wow. Just. You can't tell from outside appearances sometimes, can you? And often these things lay in wait until people are comfortable and settled. Although obviously they let themselves be known straight away, but that could have easily been a kid coughing in the street that you heard. Yeah, easily. Yeah, if nothing else ever happened, we had forgotten about the kid cough, really. Right. Only until the other activity unfolding. That we had to rewind ourselves back mentally and be like, uh-huh, that's what, uh-huh, oh, 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 okay. Right. No, we're, we're right. going to catch up. And that's by design, in my opinion, from Portuguese, is the homeowner, the occupants are always playing catch up. There are minuscule things happening all the time that the brain just ignores or forgets about and just keeps on trucking. But finally, that crescendo. And every Portuguese story, including ours, has that crescendo. I call it the moment of truth. Mm. You, this, you can't disavow anymore. But mm. you get to levitation and floating objects. Those are, can be disavowed. There's, there's no disavowing right. those. And that's what I've happened a few weeks later with the flying or the levitating plant while watching TV. Right. The plant darted up off the ground. Plants don't do that on nowhere to call the continent, dart up and spin around. And this would be there. And it did it in front of both of us while watching TV. And then it fell to the ground. Now we have to play catch up. Now we're a few weeks in and we're like, okay, that's what, oh, okay. All right. That's what the kid toys on the staircase, kid toys on the countertop. My missing car keys, Tina's missing jewelry, 
waking up and finding the kitchen cabinet doors wide open. Because those things, even though they are more physical, even then, as you read in the book, we thought we were being pranked. Right. We thought we had a home intruder. We thought maybe it was neighborhood kids, previous tenants, or their previous tenants' kids. And you notice in the book, I had a home security installed to rule that out. And the phenomenon kept on coming, kept on happening. But yeah, we thought we were being pranked. Somebody was playing a joke on us, which we didn't think was, was funny, but oh well. So yeah, then that happened. But then when the plan did what it did, yeah, we knew, okay. This house has a, we have a third occupant, you know. Right. So from the cough, it was a slow build up over several weeks, but it started immediately. Started immediately. Pretty much. It started, mm -hmm. it started every precursor, every activity was a precursor to the next activity. Right. There's a pattern of what you call a snowball effect, if you will, of things are going to gradually pick up, especially after the acknowledgement, after we saw the plant dart up in the air. Yes. It's like the seal then had been broken. Everybody's of the realization we have a ghost. They know right. it. Now we know it. Now they can do what they really want to do, which is the loud banging. Right. Which was the door slams. Many of those, see that, would be taking a bath or shower and the door was slammed on her. Plants start being thrown downstairs, projectiles, not necessarily in our vicinity or on our path, but definitely our peripheral, obliterating upon impact on the wall, the footsteps, the phantom footsteps, the pitter-patter noise in the hallway, the pitter-patter noise arriving home, put the key into the key lock, open the door, and you hear a thunder, a scurry away, going upstairs. That happened an awful lot. So yeah, and then the lights off and on. There's several videos on my YouTube channel because my YouTube channel is like a video diary of the phenomena. Mm. Four years worth of Portuguese phenomena. Very authentic, very genuine, hardly edited, hardly touched. I don't spruce it up. I don't edit it or like to pull punches. I give it to you as it was. Some of these videos will fail minutes or seconds or during the activity. So you see the lights go off and on. You see Mentina nowhere in the room. You see the light switch. Somebody else contained. You can see the light switch. Clear as day. And the lights are going off and off, but nobody's near the light switch. These are early on activity. So, yeah. How did this make you and Tina feel when, well, particularly when you saw that initial plant levitate? That must have been really scary. Actually, it wasn't. The plant levitating... Um, didn't scare us because when we saw the plane levitate, we went to my office and we got on the computer and we asked, well, how can you tell your house is going to? What are the signs, right? So, right. And the answer we got was, this is how you can tell us, like five things. We were having missing objects, objects appearing that neither one of us owned, phantom footsteps. I think a few websites, he said a kid cough or kid noise, levitation or whatnot. But we thought it was the kid ghost. We went back from time and said, oh, that's the kid ghost. Oh, kid ghost. Okay. That would be a reasonable assumption. Yeah, we said, okay, kid ghost. Kind of weird. But unfortunately, maybe kid died in the house. You know, we, we don't know. I looked it up. I didn't find anything. 
I didn't find any notice of a death in the home. Uh, in Washington, you're not required to disclose it. In some states in, the, in America, you are, but Washington, mm. uh, it must disclose. But the home was new, so we didn't find much as to death, either in or outside. And that was good. That relieved us. So we went scared. Where the trepidation in, came in was the door slams and the flying plants. And when that started picking up, happening almost daily, then we started like, I don't know, kid, ghost. Because we would tell the ghost, the kid, hey, we'd appreciate it if you would stop that. This is what the instructions on the website told us to do of anything. Ask it to kindly stop. Ask it to kindly leave. Hey, this is our home. Stop that. Please leave. Be at rest, be at peace. We mean you no harm. We mean this house no harm. In case right. the ghost is protective of the home, and we're like, hey, we're not here to harm the land underneath the right. house or the house or you. So you don't have to throw all this stuff around. Just be at peace and leave and go to the light, and we'll take care of this place for you. But we got the opposite reaction, which is more banging, more objects being thrown, and more what you would call a bad prankster joke, you know? Mm. If I turn a light off in a room that you're in and close the door, that's a prank. That's a joke. That's to get right. a rise out of you. I don't do it. I'm downstairs and Tina's taking a bath and it does it on its own. That's a prop. That's a, well, okay. If I'm eating dinner and a plant goes flying by, you know, Tina paid money for those. Those are property. Yeah. If they obliterate, these are live plants and they die. That's a prompt. Hey, stop doing that. But they don't stop doing it. They do it more. So we stop thinking kid ghosts anymore. And we start getting nervous because the brain or ourselves, where is this going? You know? Right. Of course. What's mm. the end game here? So we start contacting churches. Talking to family members, friends. Hey, we think our house is weird. It's haunted. What do you do? Oh, you call the church and, and my upbringing. I even said, like, we'll go my upbringing. And you bless the house. Right. You're supposed to bless it before you move in. And mm. we didn't do that regrettably, but never too late. And we did. And that would slow the activity down for a day or two. Definitely didn't prevent it. And several churches came in and blessed all. Some of, some of them, we told them why we wanted them to bless the home. And they understood. Rather than, right. you know, so we did it. But everybody always came eagerly to bless the home. So, yeah. And so the activity would settle for a short period of time after it was blessed, and then it would pick up again. Would it pick up worse than before you had the house blessed? Before the house guest? I'm sorry. That's my accent. Once you had the house blessed, the activity settled down for a little bit. And then when it picked up again, was it worse than prior to the house being blessed? The, the blessing of the home would lessen the activity or quell it for about a day or two. So we had right. 48 to 72 hours of peace. And right. we thought, okay, all right, maybe that worked. And then on day two or day three or day four or something, it would come back of what it was doing previously, you know, 
Right. You'll be in your room or your office. I'll be on my computer or watching TV in a play. Bam! You know, mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, okay, they're back. Or, you know, and they're more free. So whenever it stopped, it would come back sometimes stronger, but then it'd be more frequent. And then we're back where we started from. Okay, what do we do now? The blessing didn't work. And some of the websites told me, you got to be strong. You got to be firm. Keep asking them to get out. Now, don't stop that at all. Just keep asking. Right. These things will taper down over time. These things will die off on their own. But no, things become more frequent. And something new would get added to the frequency, like I said. They can the gray lady, right? The right. apparition. So that is a escalation of activity. One day I was in my office typing, working, and the lights in my office went off and I heard a click. It would click, you know, your light switch. And I turned toward the doorway and there was a woman standing there. And I tell people, cause I can remember like happened yesterday, this woman was standing there, not Tina, obviously, but a full, what y'all term in the program was a full bodied apparition. I didn't call it, right. I just call it a woman. But she was all gray. She was was gray, solid. She was not illuminating. She was not translucent, see-through, or had a light around her. None of that Hollywood stuff. But and I can see this clear as day that that she turned sideways. I'm sitting in the dark in my office. Lucky there's the light on in the hallway. And there's a reason for that. I'll I'll sit that in a minute. She's trying to go to the room to my left, which is the washroom, the laundry room. She's not having good luck getting through that door. She's not trying to open the door like you and I would, which is interesting in itself. You and I would try to walk through the door. We try to open it and go in. She's trying to right. go through the door, okay? And she can't. And I say in my book, I think my observing her prevented her from going through the door. Because mm. soon as she turned her back to me, it did start darting down the hallway, the corner, I still don't know what I'm looking at. So I give chase. I rise up out of my seat. This is all happening with a second or two, less than two seconds. And right. go after her. So this is more instinct than logic. I'm going after something. I don't even know what it is. Right. Uh, my brain is saying Tina, but I know it's not Tina. It doesn't look right. like Tina. What would I do if I got on the other side of the hallway and caught up with whatever this was? I don't know. Lucky for me, when I turned the hallway, just like in the movies, it was gone. Now I've made a physical act by walking and pursuing something that's not there. I went into the bathroom and talked with Tina. Tina was taking a bubble bath. And I looked at Tina and my eyes were as wide like they are. And now I said, I saw it. I saw it. I was very eager and excited in a shock way. And Tina looked at me like, you saw what? What do you, what do you mean you saw? saw it. Like, I saw it. And what I meant by that was, up until now, we've had a lot of activity. And up until now, we've not had a face, if you will, to right. associate with the activity. Been visible behind the scenes. And what I saw, I was like, Tina, I saw it. I think I saw, it was a woman. And I think I saw who was responsible for the plant levitation, the plants being thrown, the electrical issues, the kid toys we're finding. Not saying that she was or is responsible for all those things, but now I have a physical face and body Mm. 
to associate with those things. Right. Now, I did not know at the time, but I know now, like I said, going back to the original at the beginning of this is, things are escalating. Apparition science is the term, the paranormal has, has labeled this an apparitional sighting or full-bodied apparition. It'd be male or female. In my case, it was female. She was 100% gray. There are known to be apparition sightings and not all, but some poltergeist cases. There have been reports of apparitional sighting, meaning keep all your activity, you said so far, that's normal. Right. What you just said about the apparition is normal too, but to a lesser degree. It's interesting and it's still less to this day why she was gray and full-bodied and turned off my light, took off running or, or whatever, because she definitely wanted to get my attention. I was just going to say that, yeah. She definitely wanted to get my attention by turning off the lights. If you watch my video and you read my book, you know, we've been having off and all light issues before I saw the gray lady. Right. And I know enough about spirits today is they don't have to physically be by a light switch to turn it off. Right. Uh, we do, they don't. But this one did, what I find interesting, that's why I laugh about it in my book is, she did all this to get my attention but didn't really plan her exit strategy because she could not get through the door to the left of her. Why that door? And she had to dart down the hallway to get out of my eyesight to disappear. As soon as you hit the light switch, the human brain or the ear is going to always turn in the direction of the sound. That's just a mental instinct. Sound goes right. over here, I turn over here. I don't turn over there. I turn to the direction of the sound. That's what I did. And she was standing there. I think she could easily hit the light switch and the light goes off and I turn towards the light switch and nobody's there. That would have been interesting too. Like, oh, I heard the click, but nobody's at the light switch. But no, she was there. So yeah, that was probably a major event for summer of 2012. We're still in July, August of 2012, we said the gray lady. Do you feel, with the benefit of hindsight, that perhaps it was necessary for you to see that woman so that you would become more engaged and they could therefore escalate to hear what they were doing in the home. Yeah, me and Tina talked about that a little bit because Tina, maybe lucky for her, or lucky, never saw an apparition. She never saw the gray lady through the story that there was going to be a white apparition appearing two years later. She never saw that either. I did on both, and I will see the gray lady again as well. So I've seen these things numerous times, and, and the question is, why me? And do they know in advance that, hey, if we do this, we'll get this response. Mm. We'll get them to be more engaged. Mm. I think there's some truth to that, because obviously I did become more engaged. I went out and bought the electronic cameras, the motion devices, the listening devices. Even with the gray lady I saw, I wasn't scared. It would be different if I saw a monster in my growing but It was a woman. It was a modern. It was not an ancient or old-fashioned whatever. This woman I saw lived, could live today, could live in, our, in today's world by the clothes that she was wearing. So I don't know. She, I think it was to get my attention. I think it wasn't to increase engagement because, like I said, every activity is a precursor for the next activity. There was a lot of discussion. Me and Tina had a lot of discussion about the gray lady. Okay. A lot. Hard not to. 
Yeah. And then my question was, well, will I see her again? And obviously I will, but not in the moment of my choosing. Right, of course. So then it seems to me from the time you saw the gray lady, they tended to focus on you more than Tina. Not yet. We're, we're a long way from them focusing more, more so on me. In 2012, majority of the activity me and Tina saw or experienced, we witnessed together. Right. Uh, the only thing I would say that separates us in 2012, as far as activity, was me seeing the gray lady. Tina would be in a room or the room next door, as would I, if a plant got thrown. We both heard the loud banging. We both saw the levitating plant by the TV. She had doors slammed on her, more so than me. She was a screen. And I would come charging to her from screen. And so there's that. I would hear the pitter patter footsteps because I arrived from work through the front door. Right. Tina arrives through the garage and she parks her car, her truck in the garage and goes through the kitchen entry. So she didn't report back to me a lot of hearing the pitter patter upon walking into the hall. Right. I remember coming home, park my car on the curb and walk up the patio or the driveway and walk through the front door. And it's a little bit more, you know, if we had children, like I was a kid, my parents would, like, we'd get home early from school before our parents would get home from work. And if we didn't do our chores, but we were watching TV, our parents would easily sneak up on us better by coming through mm -hmm. the front door versus the garage. Because we cannot tell if they're home. By the time they got to the front door, they opened the door. Aha, what are you doing? Watch the TV. Yeah, I'm doing chores. We're caught. Right. Coming to the garage door, you have to let the garage door up. And we can easily hear right. it as kids. Oh, parents are home. Run. And then that's door number one. Door number two is the actual door that leads to the home. So there may be some linkage there as to why I heard the pitter patter always mm -hmm. coming through the front door. And Tina never heard it or hardly heard it. Except the time she came to the front door, which is very rare. She wasn't came to the garage door. So I, I would right. say we were about 60, 40, 55. Yeah. I would say about, no, no. I would say about 60, 40 as, as far as the phenomena we witnessed. But most of we saw the same thing. But you're right. There would, there's going to come a moment where the activity is going to happen to one person more than the other. There's moments in the book where the activity happened to Tina more. Mm. And there's a lot of references in the book where the activity is going to happen to me more. Oh, yeah. Right. And up until this point, your relationship was still really good. You were getting along well, and life was just going really great, apart from the events that were happening in the home. Yeah, the activity of 2012 compared to the activity of 2014 is nine decks. Mm. Yeah, there was some malevolent activity in 2012. Throwing up press is definitely malevolent. Oh, Out bangs, yeah. stomping, closing doors while you're taking a shower. It's, those, are, those are malevolent activities. But me and Tina were fine. We're fine mentally as far as a couple. And we have a united front. But we both want the activity to stop. We're taking proactive measures to make it stop. You read about me buying the sage, the sludging, to lay the Bible out, out in the open. But yeah, we're Tina Keith and Tina. We're still, believe it or not, glad 
at our decision to rent this house. Mm. We did not have any buyer's or renter's remorse, this activity that will come later. And by the time we started entertaining the thought of renter's remorse, as you know, the activity did subside. And it subsided for the year, a little bit over a year and two months. It started lessening late fall, early winter of 2012. And around November of 2012, they stopped on their own. We don't know why, but they did. Now, there's a lot of things that happened before then. that, once again, the Bible, the infamous Bible that caught fire in 2014, would disappear in the summer of 2012. So we were glad. We was like, aha, the activity is slowing down. Right. Lessening. Maybe we don't have to move after all. The websites of the advice been giving us these things do taper off. And at that time, the worst thing that had happened, even though it happened frequently, was the throwing of objects. So we were like, okay, all right, no hard, no foul. These things taper off. And we had a whole year, 2013, interesting number, 2013, of no activity. But the vice of websites were, well, there's two things that's going to happen is the activity is going to taper off and it'll never come back. It'll never happen again. You guys got a story to tell. Every Halloween, you got a good story to tell. Okay. If it does come back, nobody knows when come back very quickly, soon, or whatever. But, and the websites had references of other cases. If it does come back, it's always worse than before. And they were right. The things this case is known for that made it get international attention is the activity that happened in 2014. Right. As long as people dissect the case and they learn, oh, Oh, I always get upset when people are like, oh, this is for attention. Or I try to get some, you know, when we were public with our, our story, it's because they act as if this stuff started happening yesterday. Right. No, we've been dealing with this for a year or two years. It's now reaching your eyes and ears, Mr. and Mrs. World. We've been dealing with this for two years before it reached the press, before it reached the newspapers, three years before it reached the internet. If we were seeking attention, we could have went public at the first plant that levitated by the TV. Mm. Or in the plants flying, we didn't do that. Right. Only when the activity came back in 2014, and rightfully so, because as you know, the activity was worse. We're talking about objects catching fire. Yes. Heavier objects being thrown. Right. Large objects being thrown. The poster catching fire. Three Bibles, one that we saw with our own eyes, broke the catch fire, two scorched beyond recognition, the shadowy figures, and the walrens. Those things deserve other eyes and ears on it because it's going to get worse. It's going to get very worse for Keith and Tina. And that's when you're going to start seeing our relationship strain mm. as the activity gets worse. So what was the first thing? That happened when it restarted. How they let us know that they were back. It's like this. And I think they're linked. And they are linked. On January 2nd, I had a fall down the stairs. 
I was coming down the stairs, glass of water, and I got to the midway landing and bam, on the floor. I had tore my light patella tendon off my knee, which is my big cap. Tore it off. Yes. Fast forward to four or six weeks later, after surgery, tore a tendon, the knee cap off. All that they could do is surgery to repair it, put it back on. So now I am housebound and constricted only to the upstairs because Tina has to work. Someone has to earn a living. And it's a two story home. I'm handicapped with all the use of one leg. The other leg, which is my right leg, has to stay straight, straight for a considerable time. And so I'm restricted to the upstairs when alone. And that's what I did. I stayed upstairs all day until Tina returned home. But really for about four or six weeks, I came downstairs. While home by myself, as I'm sleeping, nodding in and out while watching TV in my bed, I'm hearing noise downstairs as if somebody is home. Hearing somebody like somebody's going and rummaging through the kitchen cabinets. And so I wake up and I'm like, Tina, are you home? Is that you? Maybe Tina came home early. Maybe Tina left or forgot something. And I get no answer. Tina? So now I'm more looking, well, who's rummaging downstairs? And it's not Tina. Okay. Is it a burglar? So I, I would lip out of bed and go to the hallway and look over the railing or the banister, whatever they call that, and call out again. Tina, y'all? No answer. And then the noise will stop. Okay. And so I thought that was weird. And that's never happened before, even in 2012, because we're not home every day. All right? Right. And you got a person who's home all 24-7 alone in this gigantic house. And so Tina come home after work. I was like, hey, I heard noises while she went upstairs. I heard noises. And she's like, I was telling you. And in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I hope it's not them. You know, the ghost. Yeah. And Tina didn't want to talk about it. She's like, no, we ain't, no, no, we're not going to let go on. We're, we're, we're not, you know, we're not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. They're gone. Right. So I'm like, okay, right. And then. Three other times I would wake up or sleeping, Tina's back at work, and I heard a knock on the headboard. My head, you know, let I'm letting headboard behind you, and I a knock or scratchy, mm-hmm. like a, a cat trying to get to her own. And I'm hearing all this coming from the headboard. And Tina come home again. Hey, Tina, how is the day at work? We're eating. Man, well, I'm sleeping. I had done on the headboard. Said, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna come by. They're gone. You just, you just, it's your meds. It's your pain. Maybe it is my pit, man. So, but it's a reasonable assumption, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, it's powerful stuff. So, Alice the gut. I shoot. I start taking the pain meds and cut them in half. I mean, this is like, man, I need to roll back on these pain meds. Instead of one pit, I start taking a half pit. Because I'm like, okay, maybe they're giving me this powerful stuff. And so I'm listening to All right, okay, well, not what you talked about 2012. That's, that was the rule. That was the mental rule me and Tina had. But in the back of my mind, I know it's not the bad. But okay. Right. I, 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 if I talk about it to Tina, it's going to lead to an argument. I don't want to argue bad, so I just, I just okay. I'm, gonna talk, I'm, I'm not going to confide in her. Well, sometime in, I think it was March, early April, it was a Sunday. And we got to bed and I woke up. I had, had a feeling of uneasiness, like we were being watched. 
and I have not had that feeling since 2012. And I was looking around and I was like, man, this all not feel right. And I went downstairs, looked through the refrigerator, praying that Tina had some sage. And woo she did. She used sage to cook with. But I knew sage is sage. If I get a sage out of the refrigerator and dehydrate it or dry it out in the oven, I got dry sage. That's what I did. I put it on the oven, washed it, you know, did the lots, dried it out, but then got it out. It was all dry. It's kind of like the, the dry sage about the store. I put it on a saucer pan in a small array. I'm like, oh, yeah, it smells. And I'm going through the house doing this. And I'm saying to Martina, sleep. And would be very upset if she caught me doing what I'm doing because she don't want to talk about ghosts. So I'm going down, 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 hey, leave, this is on the hills, whatever. And then I sit the sage on the bookshelf in the hallway and go to bed. Right. And let it smolder itself outside. I'm going to let you stay here. And, and I remember we heard a loud crash soon after that. And I remember we both darted up. Not too dark that she's awake. Like, no, that's not so sleeping through that. Right. And we run to the hallway and Tina has this giant armoire. We bought this armoire after we moved into the house at the garage sale, a few blocks down from the bottle house. The neighbor was selling it. And we moved it upstairs and it sat in the hallway or stood in the hallway. It's almost taller than me. And when we saw it leaning over and put a new hole in the wall, new dent. My saucer with the sage was obliterated on the floor. Tina saw all that. She was able to know right then and there, like I knew, what had happened. And when she saw that, she immediately started crying because she knew they were back. And they were. After that day, everything they did before became a daily or nightly occurrence, with the exception of the objects are now bigger and they're more frequently being thrown. One of the things that frightened Tina the most up until now, up until that night or that morning, was the door slamming on her while taking the bath or shower. That just always got underneath her. And rightfully so. You're very vulnerable. Yeah. Bathing yourself, doing something like that, and the door slams shut on you. Because you see a lot of movies, Hollywood has perfected that. Yeah. Right. And then to add insult to injury, turn off the lights. It's easy. Frightening feeling to be feeling your way in the dark after a door has been slammed. Because in your brain, you're like, is somebody in the room with me? Yeah. Or who's on the other side of the door once I open? Those two things, because that happened to me. When I had doors slammed on me and lights cut off, those went through my mind as I'm finding the door and the switch. Okay, did they slam the door because they want to be in the room with me? Am I going to bump into them as I'm? My way to the door. It's just how it is. It's how you find a key. Or I put up in the yeah. door. They're on the other side. Right. Your survival mode is, I got to open the door. I yeah. got to turn on the light. At the end of me, or not the end of me. And your fear factor, your adrenaline is off the charts. And whatever spirit did that, if they were low on energy that day, they got a truckload after doing that, you know. Oh, if they ever woke up, you know, in the spirit's world, Hey guys, we're low on energy. What do we do? Let's go turn the lights off and keep the Tina while I'm taking the bath or slam the door. That's what they do because the fear factor of Tina and me is tremendous. 
and rightfully so. So I understood why Tina was crying because Tina knew that that was going to start happening to her again. What we both did not know is that's the least of our problems. We're about to encounter spontaneous combustion. Right. A few days after that, Tina's going to be attacked in the home while she's by herself. That's never happened before. Tina's going to have the lights on the ceiling blow up in her face. That's never happened to me before. Tina's going to run out the house, literally run out the house. Now we're running, okay? Remember, it's reversed now. We're running and leaving everything on in the process. Tina's going to have to turn back around while going to work because she's going to get a call from me saying, come back to the house. The house is under attack. And when she pulls up to the driveway, there are two fire trucks parked in the street. Smoke is billowing out my office window. And when Tina walks in, I'm half naked doing this. And the fire department is trying to figure out how the poster in my office caught fire. Whereas on my point of view, remember that morning, I had taken a shower, once again, vulnerable, heard the fire alarms go off, run out the shower, fire alarms are going off, this is in the morning. Tina had just left for work. And when I get to the doorway of our bedroom, which leads into the hall, right. something runs past me, right. thundering down. So something is running from my office, which is where the fire and the smoke was, and running down the stairs, and the front door opens on its own. It's slams shut on its own. I, more on instinct than logic, run down the stairs and try to open up the door that was open a second ago. That's a second ago. Mm. And it's sealed shut. I can't open. Wow. You know, it's like a force. I pull it this way and something's got his hands like, look, that done. The house is billowing with smoke. And only then do I run upstairs and see my poster on fire and then call 911. And then while calling 911, every time I give my address to the operator, hey, my house is on fire with a report of fire. Okay, sir, what's your address? Every time I would give my address, you know, one, two, three, A, B, C, D, static. Only the time when I would give my number address. Sir, you break up. I can't break up only when I give the numerical address. It happened three times. And two minutes later, Tina's told me that she got the call for me to turn back around. The fire department beat her there. And they said, when they come back, they're always worse. Right. That's just week one of them being back. We still have 10 more months to go because we had 10 months of activity nonstop beginning in March. So it was really war against Jerry. Oh, yeah. All all the gloves are off. Yeah. And the fire department couldn't understand what caused the poster to burst into flames. It wasn't near any electrical source. It was just on the wall. It was interesting in the way that the manner in which it was burned. It's not covering up an electrical outlet. It's not near a heat lamp. It's not near an electrical source of heat. The only thing you can deduce as to what comes if you're a fire person or anybody else besides Tina is what of y'all had to have done it. 
Well, they knew I didn't do it. I mean, they, they had a good excuse. I didn't do it. It was just weird. Tina was at home. So they saw Tina when she came home. She's frantic. I'm frantic, shaking and crying like a, a, a wet puppy. And yeah, and they wrote in their report, uh, you know, but unknown or whatever. They were glad that I put it out, which I did. I used my towel to douse the fire. But like I said, my butt, there was so much smoke and the alarms were still going off for a while. I thought there was a fire somewhere in the hole that I couldn't get to. And I was right. again, if the Portuguese started this fire or let's say it started in the attic and I couldn't get to it, this house is toast. Okay. I'm going to go down with the fire. Then I'm not going to know what happened to Keith. He was going to be like, I'm not from 10 minutes ago. So I called the fire department because I wanted something by to get there to save me. I couldn't right. get out the front door, but I don't know how long that door was going to stay sealed shut. It yeah, exactly. Eventually, you know, characteristically unlocked open by itself once the fire department got there. But by then, the damage was done. I mean, the fear factor of oh, me. There was no other fire in the home. Thank God. They wrote a report. They can't write Portuguese on a report. They're just going to write unknown. Right. You know? Wow. So that was just the beginning of a lot of spontaneous combustion events, particularly with the Bibles you had in your home. And I understand photos of you that you had stored, or family photos, where only your face was burnt out of the photo. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's not talked about a lot. And it's very interesting. So you're right. So Bible 1 went missing in 2012, summer 2012. I right. left the downstairs, up a smudging, went to bed. Tina was out of town that night. So she wasn't even in the home when the Bible 1 went missing. I watched the next day was missing. That's 2012. Bible missing for a year, almost a year and a half. Fast forward to 2014 and the activity comes back. We'd had so much activity one night to where that night we were awakened by the fire alarms. And we'd had so much activity, we soaked our door closed. And anybody who understands fire or whatever knows that's one of the worst feelings you can have in a home is your fire alarm going off, especially while sleeping. Yeah, vulnerable. And I looked underneath the door of our bedroom door and I could see lights, you know, like a fire. And I opened the door and I'm looking this way. And I'm thinking, it's fire, you know, we're dead, whatever. No, no, there's no fire here. The fire is in my feet. There's something at my feet that's on fire. I look down, oh, there's a book on fire. Okay. And it's illuminating the entire hallway. There's ash, there's soot, everything. I close the book with my foot and douse the flames, put it out immediately. Only then do I realize that's the Bible that went missing a year and a half ago. Wow. And I saw, oh, that's the Bible that was gone. So I pick it up, ash and all the stuff, but I feel a bulge in it. There's a bulge in it. And I open it. And there's a wooden cross, yay big. The cross I had bought off Amazon a few weeks ago from Jerusalem. And it came all that way. And I hung it over our bed for protection. And we went to bed that night. It was over our, our headboard. But oh. it was in the Bible now. So, yeah. So that's, that's the first Bible. And then you're right. The pictures, this is interesting. Now you're going to get into where the spirits go from potting both occupants, Keith and Tina, at the same time to where they're going to divide it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean, we're going to haunt Tina sometimes, Keith, like, or she was attacked when she was home alone. And like right. I was attacked when I was home alone with postal catching fire. We're going to do those things. For you, Keith, this is all we got in store for you. I have a photo out. These photos that you talked about that are pictures in my book, the first book, are deeply embedded in boxes in my closet. They're deeply embedded in photo albums. I have not pulled them out or looked at them since I lived in the Bothell home. 
the photos, heirlooms. Yeah. It was only then at the height of the activity of coming home, and there's a video of me coming into my office, and you see these photos neatly placed out on my computer desk. The office is a shambles. The cross that was hanging in the hallway above the Bible is, I'll say, scissored into the wall because they took the scissor out of my cup holder and right. used the scissor to nail the cross to the wall or my photo. First photo they right. used was yay big. They took the scissor like this one and they stuck it through the photo of my head right here is where it was on the photo. Right. And stuck it through the wall. Right. And I see that in the scissors, and I took the scissor off. I said, oh my God, it's too much for it. That's a negative connotation. The other photos are on the computer desk, and I'm picking them up, and I'm looking at them. It's me with my family. And you're right. My face has been burnt out. Only my face. I, my, my mom, my dad, my siblings are all fired. That was them letting me know, because this is them transitioning from haunting two people to right. just start hunting new people. You're the guy we want. We're about to make this really interesting because benevolent spirits, Portuguese included, it's about divide and conquer. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Get you two, meaning Keith and Tina, working against each other. It's about isolating. We'll just go to the animal kingdom as an example. The predator always needs to separate the prey from the herd. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it goes to the prey and it separates them. Once it can do that, its odds of capturing it go significantly up. And that's what's about to be happening. Tina's going to start witnessing me being attacked hmm. and not know what to do. I'm going to start yeah. witnessing myself being attacked and not know what to do. And yeah, about five different photos, some I even thought or forgot existed. And it's very interesting because, like I said, these things are deeply buried in boxes. No, I want your listeners to understand something. It's not like the spirits when we're at work, me and Tina are at work, and the spirits are coming into my office and they're moving boxes and they're rummaging through. That's not how they do that. It's quite possible these spirits had these photos from day one I moved in. I just mm. didn't know it. Mm. I believe, and that's what I talked about in my third book, Portuguese, the Night Side of Physics. I believe these spirits or these entities have the ability that they took a mental and physical inventory of Keith and Tina. Mm -hmm. The mental inventory began the first day we walked through the door. Right. And that's when you had the kid call. Something about our mental inventory let them know, hey, we can get some mileage out of them. Right. The physical inventory came when we started bringing belongings in. And they took stock of that. Oh, photos. Ah, Tina's jewelry. Ah, he's extra car keys. Ah, interesting. Now, they don't rummage like you and I would rummage. They're not burglars. But in the dimensions that they live in, all this stuff is like on a wall. You can just see it. It's just splattered everywhere. So they just take it. But in our world, it's like removing it. In my book, I talk about my cast iron safes. Yes. I would put belongings in there because I got tired of them taking it. Me thinking, this is my mental, not them. I never confirmed with them what they couldn't do. I just assumed they couldn't do it, but assuming is nothing. So I bought safes, combination safes, key safes, and put my belongings in there, hoping that they would take it. Only to right. learn very quickly, a safe does nothing. 
I would go to my safe and look for my item and it's gone. Now they're not going in their type of accommodation and taking my belongings. They just go through it and, and, and right. take and that's what they did. You know, wallet, car keys, driver's license, birth certificate, credit cards, you name it, pictures. It's take it. So you're right about the photos, yeah. It's really interesting. It feels to me when you were talking, they were laying out a battle plan, like know your enemy, know their strengths, their weaknesses, where you can hit them, where it's going to hurt the most. And it feels to me that they were figuring out which was the best way to attack you, to get what they wanted. And it also feels to me like they focused on you because you're the stronger one. And you were the one who really wanted to fight back, so to speak, by purchasing the cameras and trying to get verifiable evidence of what was happening. Yeah, there's an old proverb that's true that says, I'm paraphrasing, be careful when you stare into the abyss, the abyss also stares into you. That yeah, could be absolutely. never more true than when dealing with the Portuguese. Mm. You're right. When I, you can, you can say to some extent, I made it personal. Mm. You can say to some extent, I gained an interest, an investment. Because when I'm spending my money to buy electronic equipment to bring it to my house environment, it, it takes a lot of preparation, a lot of mental thought, a lot of focus, a lot of planning to set these cameras up to get them working, turn them on, utilize the home's utility, mm. just wait. And while I'm doing all of that, even going to the store to shop on the shelves or buy online and wait for it to arrive by mail, to cut open the box and pull it out, to set it up or drive home with it in my truck, talk to the store manager or the salesman at the store about which camera does what, which one does what. They are listening and watching all of that. I didn't know that at the time. So when I come in the home with all these electronic gear, I said, hey, Taylor, look what I got. I'm going to get these spirits now. Yeah. Dare you to throw something now. I am being stupid. And I'll admit, because ignorance is stupidity. And mm -hmm. I'm playing right into their hands. It's like, yeah. we can't make this tough enough. So now it becomes a war. And that's all they need. You know, mm. as a willing participant, because you're really standing at the guillotine and you're going to cut your own head off. It's like the execution giving you the rope. You just don't know. Right. It. Like, he, he don't know by doing what he's doing. It's going to make us manifest more. More are going to come. And yeah, it's going to be open season on Keith Linder. And it was, as you saw, it was. There was a time, especially early winter of 2014 and spring of 2015, where you saw the raw writings. Right. They just, okay, we got this out. We can forget about Tina while this guy keeps more interest. And it's just attack, attack, attack. I can't sleep, attack at work, attack while traveling on business, attack, attack, frame them, manipulate them, make Tina think he's cheating, make Tina think he's doing the best, isolate it, we got it. His computer monsters catch on fire. We got all that. Look at my office from when I moved into the Bothell house and look at it four years later. You got two different offices. And mm. wow, the walls look different. The walls are nice and clean and 
well painted when we moved in, but looking at it, I've got all these paint marks and dirt marks and fire residue and wall writings, painted over wall writings. The office is all disheveled. And that's the war. That's the war that wish people you know, to focus on about this story because it's very dark. And you're right. They've been yeah. focusing and nothing's worked. Priests are coming in. Nothing, nothing's working. And yeah, it's bad. It's, it's like a, a F5 tornado. Yeah, really bad. Now, going back to the writings on the wall, I remember thinking how impressed I was as I was reading your book that you recognized why the spirits had been writing 666 on your wall. And I thought perhaps you could explain a bit about that for my audience because I felt that was very good insight on your part. Yeah, one of the things me and Tina, me especially, we get criticized for or what a skeptic or cynic we use as ammunition is the 666 wall writings. And they, they, they say it because they don't know. And I say it in my books. They say, well, 666. <laughs> yeah, if I can do that, yeah, Hollywood, you know. Hmm. And I tell people in my book, number one, the 666, as many times as it was drawn or a wall, that never scared us. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can even say the wall runnings up until the part where I saw it die KL, those things never scared us. And I said, this, the 666 was not drawn for us. The 666 was drawn for the world to keep believers at bay from believing us mm-hmm. and to feed the skepticism. Because somebody looking at the 666 from the outside and be like, man, dude, come on, come on, dude, not real, come on. Some people wouldn't help us or take us seriously because of the 666. I theorized in my books, I believe it to be true. That was not for us. That was to whoever sees or receives Keith and Tina's distress call. You can just ignore them because these guys, you know, they're fake or whatever. 666, it's been done so few times. Um, mm. I'm surprised Keith even did that. And it worked on some but people who saw it and they take us seriously. And I was like, you know, there's two sides of the coin when you think about paranormal or poltergeist is they want to isolate the house occupants from the outside world. Right. They want to do all this, we can call fantastical stuff in front of the house occupants eyes, but they want to contain it. They're not interested in being known, being discovered, proving that poltergeists are real, that entities exist, that demons are real. That's not why they do it. If they did that, all they could do is hold a press conference. Okay? <laughs> yeah. They don't care about that. And if we go out to reach for help, one of the things they need to do as far as to inoculate us is to make some of the things happening around us look like anybody can do it mm-hmm. to make it look childish or hoaxy and that's what that was all about because we had so many people saying well why would they draw 666 and then draw the upside down man which we know today was a Native mm-hmm. American symbol why would they draw upside down cross next to a Native American symbol the two don't go well together Christianity and Native American what spirit would do that well you're thinking one dimensional you're playing checkers while the poltergeists are playing chess and they're winning. And Zimbabwe is for all his experience 
I was really perturbed that he let that get the best of him, the 666. Because the other parapsychologists in Steve Merrill and Don Phillips, those who study poltergeist know that you just can't see something on the wall and say it looks like this or it's that or that. You can't be easily manipulated. A lot of people were manipulated by the 666. Ironically and funny, Keith and Tina, who were at ground zero, were not. Right. People were like, who can sleep in a room where next to a room with 666? I'm like, we can. Because mm-hmm. I knew, based on upbringing, and I knew 666. Yeah, dude. Okay. All right. That's for you guys. That's for you outside world looking in. So y'all can go, ha, ha, ha. And people did. You, you see many critiques go toward the 666 at the house. And I'm just laughing. People are like, well, they got you. They, they, they tricked them. They're playing work. The psychological plan work. Right. Which brings up another point. At one stage, you reached out to the press for help initially, and then you were contacted by a specific person who got you in touch with the Ghost Adventures crew. Now, I personally saw that episode. This was some years ago. I live in New Zealand, so we get these things later than we did at that stage. And I knew I was, but also I come from a knowing of how television works and how they put these paranormal shows together. But that was just out and out a hatchet job. And the fact that they were smart enough not to outright say that they didn't believe you, but leave the innuendos hanging so people would assume that you were a fraud was really a dreadful thing that they did to you. And I'm so sorry that that happened. I'm so sorry that you got all this horrible public backlash, particularly Tina. I don't know why they targeted Tina so much, but they did. And it was just awful. And I'm sorry you went through that. Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, it was a weird experience. I always tell people, if you come to the Bothell house, we, we get people access, I mean, we get Richard's access, priest access, to do whatever it is they want to do to find evidence. I cannot predict what the spirit will or won't do while you're present. I can't predict what it will do when I'm present. And I live here. Yeah. Every event I talked about right today was you and in my book, we didn't know that was coming. There was no prediction of that. And I knew when they arrived at the home, when they told us weeks in advance before they got there, how many hours they were going to dedicate to actually investigate. And they wrote, because they gave us a little seat, itinerary, before they arrived. And they arrived on the last day anyway. It's the B team who arrives there day one, day two, day three. They arrived day three, day four. And they only dedicate five hours to actual investigating. And at that time, the activity was showing signs of subsiding. Mm. We were looking at what we were doing in the winter months of 2012 when the activity was tapering off. But I knew five hours was nothing because me and Tina had been in the home where we've not had activity for 48 hours. Yeah. Five hours is nothing. But even then, I said, well, okay, then you get nothing, you get nothing. Not my fault. You're chasing lightning in a drawer, right? So when it aired two months later and we saw the episode, me and Tina looked like, who is that? Because it was edited totally different than how it was filmed. And 
a lot of what you see in that episode with Glass talking, and I'm going to set the time, one of the formats of the show is there's voiceover. There's conversation amongst the team members, but a lot of his narration of that in a studio. He's got maybe a terabyte of footage from being at a location, right? A terabyte. And that he's got to get an editing room with his producer, got to do provide narration over what they want to show the world. Right. Now they caught evidence or a shred of evidence. They would have shown that episode different. They would have put themselves in a more positive light. They would have been right. seen as the hero riding in on the white horse, literally. Mm-hmm. We're here to save the day. You kind of sort of see that when I walk through the door. We're here to save Keith and Tina from themselves. Right? But the spirits did not give them an ounce of evidence to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing they could do to save face, because up until now, and I was not familiar with the show, but I was told this by people who are familiar with the show, even fans, up until that time, they always get evidence everywhere they go. Right. They make it look so simple. Yeah. So yeah. easy. Like, evidence, got it. And the people I talked to in the paranormal community were telling me, because I, I know that community, that, oh, man, man, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I, I don't get nothing. I still believe yeah. in it. Or I got something, or it didn't. I mean, you got to be something, or either make repeat visits, live at a location, like live at, at the site, spend enough time with the house occupants. You definitely don't send the house occupants away. You sort of curtail your own investigation by doing it. So they have to do the opposite. They have to make Sheila and be the scapegoat. They have to make it seem like we over-exaggerated. And something's wrong with Tina, mm. which is farthest from the truth. And we became the scapegoats to their fans because they cannot tell their fans we got nothing except for the fact that they should have told their fans, hey, we came, we saw, investigate a phenomenon like this. And I think it's very difficult. It's, it's very hard to do. We're only here for right. a short period of time. However, we're going to maintain communication and contact with Keith Blender. My name is Zach Baggins. Uh, I want to maintain contact with you, Keith. We didn't get anything this time. Uh, I had to do some sort of re- repeat trip or whatever. Just got my number. That would be that. And then everybody like, oh, okay. Hey, Investigations like this are hard, but they didn't do that. They want to close mm-hmm. it up and shut it down. But like, no, they're there. Tina's weird. Houses are haunted. Bible, this, whatever. So yeah, and their fans ate it up and then attacked me and Tina. Which is very weird to attack the house occupants. Number one, we weren't there while they did their investigation. And number two, they found us. We didn't find us. They found us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Um, they contacted you. Yeah, they contacted us. And we're already two and a half years dealing with this. Mm -hmm. They don't tell their fans that. Also, they don't tell their fans on the show of Rhonda and her family the previous tenants who lived in the home 2008, 2009, who had similar activity. Mm. I gave her contact info and who they never reached out to. Mm. So, but they never say that. They never say, oh, by the way, previous tenants, we also learned or got record of a previous tenant who spoke of similar activity while they were present. They just moved out and didn't tell anybody. That's important information to any research. Absolutely. Information. And they left that out 
conveniently. So there's that. Yeah, and that ideal amplified the situation between you and Tina and things escalated from there for you both. Yeah. Which ultimately resulted in your separation. Yeah, we did not need any more problems. And that's what made Tina upset. It made me upset, but made Tina extremely upset because she was singled out. She was scapegoated more than me, called different names, epithets, ridiculed, thought she was weird, all because that little orchestrated scene with her and Zach, which in reality didn't go that way. So Tina was done. I mean, I, Keith Lunder, as much as I was scared, frightened, and hate the activity that we experienced. As much as I do not like, as much as I dislike, for lack of a better word, demons or poltergeists, whatever, as much as I dislike them, I can't find fault with them for being what they are. Mm. Okay? They are bred or born to do what it is, whatever they do. I don't like it. I wouldn't sign up for it ever. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I understand. Okay. Humans, on the other hand, opportunists, like a paranormal investigator, I can't forgive Mm -hmm. because you are like me. We're human beings. Mm -hmm. Why would you go into a home, anybody's home, and make it worse for them than it already is? Me and Katina already got all these things we're doing. You know, it's almost like the Hippocratic Oath, right? When the doctor mm. takes an oath that thou shalt not willingly cause more harm to the patient. I got to see my doctor about ailing or something, ailing me, arm or something. The last thing the doctor wants to do, he touches me gingerly, he deals with me gingerly. Yeah. Doesn't want to exacerbate the pain. They get very yeah. reluctant and disappointed in themselves if they're causing the patient, me or you or anybody, more pain. You know, if I have to leave the ER or leave the hospital room in more pain than I came in, they've not done their job. And they feel mm-hmm. very remorseful and about it. They really do. Some paranormal teams don't feel that way. Ghost Adventures, not to pick on them, but they made our situation worse. Yes, they did. And they had no gumption, no remorse, even today, to apologize or to say, I'm bad. I don't care about you not fighting anything in our home, but that's not my fault. It could have still or come to our defense, even when the social stratosphere of Twitter and Facebook were attacking us. You could have made your fans say, hey guys, enough. We know it's not all about that. You know, we didn't find anything. That's not to put anything negative. So leave them alone and they're going to be all right. But no, they didn't know that. They doubled down, doubled down Mm -hmm. now. It went public out of their way, which they never normally did to other episodes to say, we don't think Keith or Taylor would tell the truth. They said that based on them not finding it. So that's why I have a problem with Yeah, I totally get that. And so from that point, that was really the final straw for you and Tina. Yeah, Tina was and done. Tina was done with the paranormal yeah. at that point. She, she moved out weeks to that. Yeah. And rightfully yeah. so, because spirits be damned. Tina to this day will not, you know, I often get requests and ask when I do interviews like this or other shows, hey, can, can, can you get Tina to, to talk? I'm like, Tina's done, dude. Tina's, no. she's done. 
wrote my book as I speak for both of us. I can mm-hmm. talk to Tina right now. Me and Tina, we live in the same city. We have mutual friends. When my books came out, I let her know. And she's like, you speak for both of them. You tell them both our stories. And because I know they're going to do the good. I mean, fool me once, you know, mm-hmm. shame. Fool me twice, no, shame on me. It was just a strange, it's a sad. I really feel for Tina, and I totally understand her perspective. The thing is, you guys reached out for help from numerous people, numerous people. The church let you down. They said they'd get back to you. They never did. But ultimately, you did get some help with that one pastor, the 80-year-old gentleman. But the other thing that I found was really awesome were these other investigation teams that came and at the end the parapsychologists from England who came and spent time living in your house investigating your house from the minute pretty much they came into your house things happened for them and then the woman who had been their investigation team who'd been monitoring your house for months remotely using the cameras and they came and stayed and they caught events happening like the woman's cell phone flipped off the couch in front of her within a short space of time after coming into your home and these reports were made public they were put out in the public and they even went to the press about them saying hey this house genuinely has these events happening in them yeah that's the that's the one silver lining of all this, I tell people, I'm not disgruntled about ghost adventures because their failure allowed me to find these other teams. And the other teams, yeah. especially Nikki and Carissa, I mean, lived in the home. And Steve Mara and Doll Phillips, Nick Kyle, who flew all, all the way from over the ocean twice, lived in the home for two and a half weeks. And they saw and witnessed things because things that they were reporting out to the world, they had their own stories to tell you, right? The phone flipping up in the air. That's not me. That's Carissa's phone. That's not my phone. Mm. And Stephen Dahl saw the door opening and closing by itself as soon as they got to the house. The camera Mm. turning around on its own, they saw and witnessed the 434 AVPs that the UK guys captured. Class A, Class B AVPs. They have all that, that they documented, that they put forward out there to the world. It's on my YouTube channel and theirs. There's links to them in my book. And you're right. They are now, or have substantiated, and even from their mouth, and Steve Mayer's been doing this 35 years, Don too, Nikki, 27 years. And even out of their mouth, they're like, we've seen things before, but we've never seen this. This is new textbook stuff. But. A credit to them is their methodology. Yes. It was not ego. It was not being run by ego. Right. It was Steve came in there with a game plan in the dawn that they had talked about before arriving. And once they arrived, they had to alter it a little bit. Well, Steve, and he says it's in his book and his documentaries. The minute we knew that these spirits were purposely, he worked as purposely, being elusive, we had to change our investigation. Meaning, these spirits are purposely go, trying to be avoid being detected. He said, "There's still a way to detect them, but now we have to change our way. The current way is not going to work." 
you cannot have an investigation have one format. It's not a one shoe fits all. It's not a cookie cut. Every house is the same methodology. Every house right. is different. The occupants are different. Why Ghostbusters didn't know that? Who knows? Nick and her team knew that. You're right. They monitored the house, put up monitor remotely for mm. about eight months mm. before mm. they said, we're going to come live in it. That was the plan. You read the book. That, that was the plan. The plan is yeah. to monitor it, get a treasure trove of data. Then we're going to finish it up by living. That's how mm. you do it. Steve and Don did the same thing. They interviewed me for about three months, back and forth, like this. Question, question, questions. Researching about Buffalo, researching about Washington, researching about the land underneath the house and all that stuff. Then they said, we're coming. We're on, we're coming. And they said, we're going to stay a week the first time, and we're going to stay a week and a half the second time. And then they brought Kyle with them the second time. And those are different. Living at a site, sleeping, brushing your teeth, combing your hair in the morning, showering, you're taking a shower in one of the bathrooms that I was attacked in. You're sleeping in the room where there's been activity. You saw Carissa in the book. There's, you're sleeping in the rooms where there has been activity. I always sit in you know, the guest room in the master bedroom. There's other rooms I never slept in that they're sleeping in that had activity. And, you know, the home where they got thrown in the hallway has been moved to the guest bedroom. That's where they're sleeping. And right. it's a little bit apprehensive to sleep in a room. Even if you're an investigator, you're like, okay, I want evidence, but I don't want to get you know. <laughs> I want evidence, but don't scare me. <laughs> I want evidence, but don't scare me. Kind of slide it to me. <laughs> no, man, you don't get to choose what evidence you get. No. Okay, I'm going to sleep <laughs> so yeah, and all that plays into evidence gathering. So you're right. That was a silver lining for us. Now it's out there on the internet for the world to see. And it's blowing minds. It's still blowing minds. It's still. Yeah, absolutely. And after all the investigations and the vindication for you and Tina, it must have been a huge release for you to have that vindication. I mean, you knew the truth of what you were experiencing, but to now have it out in the public must have felt like a closure of sorts for you. Yeah, and that closure and that substantiation, I've never, I'm not trying to, nor will I ever achieve it, to get 100% of the world's population to believe our claims. Right. That's not my goal. Right. But it is good, and it was good, to get substantiation verification and acknowledgement from reputable yes. investigators and researchers. And they got their distractors too. Every investigator has his or her distractors. Right. But to get it from two different teams, and if you read the book, you notice it was timed by me. Each team didn't know when the other team was coming. Mm. And they did not interface, meaning compare notes or and each other. Right. No. That's the North America and that's the UK. Both teams did investigations differently and they all got treasure trove evidence. And so now they can go out and say, Hey, that keep the house, keep the tenant. Yeah, it's, it's legit. And that felt good. That was good. And that for me was, that told me I can now move out. It's right. The, 
I did not get run out of my house. I wanted right. to. I've had thoughts of. I did not run out of the Bothell house with my town between my legs. I lost a lot. I lost my girlfriend. Uh, I had to pay a lot of money to repair the damages to the house. Uh, I still have activity wherever I go today, albeit to a lesser degree. That's going to uh, so there's scars that are forever will be there. But in the end, I left standing up. I wasn't carried out. Tina, to her credit, left standing up. She wasn't carried out either. And all the stuff I documented while living there, in conjunction with the evidence the other teams have found, yeah, it's been great. I can talk about it now. I can feel good about the story now versus then. You remember then? I was, I didn't want to talk about the Bothell House while living in the Bothell House when I was at first, but I can talk about it now. So yeah, that was my exit to go. I said, okay, I can go now. All right. It was never, I'm going to stay there forever. Right. Or, or anything. No, it was like, this is the chapter. This is where it is. Okay. The husband and wife who live in the Bothell house now know the house was haunted. Right. We did not have that luxury. We did not have the choice to stay. Mm-hmm. Do we still want to move in that house knowing all this stuff? Or no, mm-hmm. that would have been a choice we, I would like to have been given, but no harm, no foul. So nobody could come back to Keith Linda and say, you can chose the house more. Yeah, I did. Google is your friend. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Google, Bothell, and blah, 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 blah. Okay. So I have realtors who call me now who just sell homes. And when they sell a home near the Bothell house, sometimes the Bothell house, they're like, whoa, whoa, man, there's this a home house on this street? And they call me, oh, really? Yeah, I truly, yeah, yeah. So it's it's out there on the internet and it never going away. It's never going to go away. Right. Once it's on the internet. So yeah, to my knowledge, I haven't talked to them since they moved in. To my knowledge, the, home, the husband and wife have not had activity. Now, the word activity I use very loosely because right. activity can be defined in many ways. Or you say, you mean burning Bibles and crosses and all that. Of course, they're not going to have that. But if you mean low-level, minimal activity, hard to detect, light may go off prematurely or while a bulb may prematurely expire or missing item or something or noise, I'm pretty sure they've had something they had to raise their eyebrow about, like, mm-hmm. and just keep on by their business. But so far, so good. I'm not going about it. I don't need to go poking my head around. You guys have an activity right. yet? Right. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I don't, I don't need that. You know, I've been asked to do that. I uh, get first time people ask me to do that. I like, no, I, I'm my four years is four years. That's, that's all I need. Four years in a war zone, I think is more that than house the house never has activity again. It does not take away from me a Tina's activity. No, absolutely. I'm glad it doesn't have activity again. We're like, wait, you guys had enough activity for a millennium. Right. Well, like, let's. So you came away from there and you wrote three books, is that, that you see? Yes. Yeah, three books, yes. And did you find that writing the books was cathartic for you? Man, it, it was it was tough getting through the Bothell Hell House. Oh, yes. That's in the part after Tina left with just me living in the home. Mm-hmm. The Die KL written on the walls. Because I had to, when I write my books, I have to go back there mentally. Yes, absolutely. Not living in the home anymore, but I had to 
convey what I was feeling back then. I want to fully know what I was feeling back then. I want the reader to understand because nobody should take this stuff lightly. Nobody should be wishing this happened to them. Mm. You read my books and you still wish this happened to you. I had to do my job. Mm. But it was hard to get through certain chapters for disclosures. Certain chapters took extra time to write because even just the fact of writing them created activity around me. And I, I was just going to ask that. Thank you. Especially book two, book two attachments for that reason is they have attachments. Uh, Portuguese, I watched step part two. Uh, it's twenty percent of me still living in the Baltimore home, eighty percent of me moving out, being followed. But writing that book about the water puddles. Well, if you've ever read it yet, yeah, so there's a water puddle coming. Yeah, uh, the visitations, the shouting fingers, the succubus visits. Write that stuff and then go to bed after you write it. It's just a double negative. It's just Oh, I'm writing about the poking and the prodding and the shadowing figures that manipulate me and molest me while I sleep. Mm. Oh, it's 3 a.m. I guess I go to bed now. And they're like waiting for you. Yeah. The book, it sometimes starts writing itself. It just really flows. Book two was harder to write and it's darker than book one. People are like, no way. Book two is darker than book one. Mm. Book one is activity, physical manifestation. Mm. But two is the dark. I'm actually going to read that now that I've finished your first one. I'm actually going to read it. You should read it. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to read it before we started. Oh, that's fine. But, I mean, but one's enough. Like, what? Almost 500 pages, but no. Two, it's tough. Maybe after I've read it, you're okay. We could come back and discuss your second book. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll come back. Yes, definitely. It's okay. Well, book two? Yeah, book two. Yeah. It's own two hour or whatever because it's a lot. It's talking about yeah. that's found in the home, and it answers the question of will I or was I follow, and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Why was that awesome? House? We know why the house was haunted. That's it's quite amazing. Before I close this episode, would you like to share with my listeners where they can reach you and the names of your books? Uh, and also, I will have links to these on this episode's page of our podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com so if you my listeners don't have time to write these down you can go to that page and get case information from there as well yeah so once again thanks for uh, having me it was a great dialogue it's always much easier to talk these things when a person or other is familiar with the story or has read the book so thank you yeah, your listeners can find my books on Amazon in any country, any language. The Bothell Hell House is book one. That's where all this started. Attachments. Portuguese of Washington State is book two, part two. And then the book three, to close out the trilogy, if you will. It's not a nonfiction book, it's a technical book. It's called Portuguese, the Night Side of Physics. Book three deals with the mechanics, the machinations of a haunting such as this, not only my haunting or me and Tina's haunting, but Portuguese cases in general. We analyze or I analyze and take apart any poor teleportation, water puddle phenomena, spontaneous combustion. How are all Portuguese do what it is they do? Yeah. How, how do they do that stuff? What does the, you know, what does science say or mm. don't say? And then my YouTube channel, there's videos, 500 videos on my YouTube channel. About the Bothell House. Start at the very beginning and work your way outward because it's a video diary. And you can find me on YouTube. Just type in Keith 
Linder or Keith L and you'll find me. It's easy to get a hold of me contact wise. My email address is on my YouTube channel. Definitely my books, my email address. I would say those areas start there, but a lot of information, a lot. Awesome. Thank you so much, Keith. Again, thank you for agreeing to talk with me. It's been really interesting and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Keith, and I'll be talking to you again. Yeah, thank you. This was great. Thank you. As we bring this episode to a close, we've journeyed deep into the heart of the paranormal with Keith Linder, the man who lived to tell the tale of the Bothell Hell House, the Chilean accounts of poltergeist activity, inexplicable phenomena, and the unrelenting presence of the supernatural have left us questioning the boundaries of our understanding. Whether you find yourself a steadfast believer or a sceptical observer, Keith's story invites contemplation about the unknown forces that may lurk on the fringes of our reality. The Bothell poltergeist phenomenon continues to perplex and fascinate, and our exploration into this otherworldly saga has only scratched the surface. We extend our gratitude to Keith Linder for sharing his experiences and opening a portal into a realm where the ordinary and the extraordinary collide. As we step away from the Bothell Hell House, the echoes of its mysteries linger, leaving us with a sense of wonder and curiosity about the enigmatic forces that shape our world. Thank you so much for joining us on this spectral Halloween Eve's journey. Until next time, keep your mind open, your senses sharp, and perhaps, just perhaps, you might catch a glimpse of the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. Stay tuned for more captivating stories and enigmatic encounters on our Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Marianne, bidding you farewell from the Shadowlands. If you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe and share it with friends so you don't miss out on any episode. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming shows. Also, follow us on all the social media platforms. Check out our Facebook page, WT Shadowlands, our Instagram feed, Walking the Shadowlands, and our Twitter feed at Shadowlands10, TikTok, under walking underscore the underscore Shadowlands. Also, we have a YouTube channel under the Walking the Shadowlands as well. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms. Just look for Walking the Shadowlands. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words. Open Walking the Shadowlands and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you don't have a smartphone, don't worry. You can listen to the episodes from the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Ka kite.